syndicate. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Boston Sports Syndicate Red Sox podcast to be named later. This is the Syndicate's podcast dedicated solely to the Boston Red Sox and Major League Baseball. I'm Bill Travers. Thank you for joining us. And of course, joining me once again, these two gentlemen need no introduction whatsoever, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, you know them also from the Syndicate's Above the Parquet podcast. It is. I'm going to throw you guys a change up now. I'm going to introduce you at the same time. Matt DeRosha and Chris Henrik, how are you guys doing? What's up, everybody? Hey, guys. How's it going tonight? Not too bad. Not too bad. So, gentlemen, the Red Sox 2020 season has gone probably as quickly as it came. We waited for it forever, and, and now it's already gone. And it was pro- it was pretty much over about a week and a half, two weeks into the season anyway. But I thought we should get together and just rehash the whole thing and go over what's happened since the season ended and where they are going forward. Sounds like a plan to me. You know, I'm always down to talk baseball. And a little birdie tells me that both of you guys are going to have positive takes. So I, I think I'm going to have to take the contrarian view on this. But we'll see how it goes. So, wait, wait, before before we dive in, though, contrarian, like the real way, like the real definition of the word contrarian or the supposed French uh, interpretation of the word contrarian, which just stands for pain in the ass. <laughs> Uh, and, and another uh, meaning is also to automatically go against what everybody says. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Now, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. So 2020, uh, we were all afraid of it coming into the season, and it lived up to that hype and then some. Uh, the team got slapped early on with the uh, with any hope that they had of possibly contending was pretty much lost when Eduardo Rodriguez tested positive for COVID, along with Darwins and Hernandez and Josh Taylor two uh, guys that were looked at as key components in the bullpen. So right then and there, the season was pretty much over, and as I said, it lived up to its hype going forward. So, guys, were we really expecting too much of this team coming in? There were a lot of what-ifs, and if this happens, then that, and the short season. Were we really fooling ourselves when we were talking about that kind of stuff? You know, I don't think that we were at the time because, you know – try to put yourself back you know a few months we were waiting for baseball you know they had the spring training and then things got shut down and then again we were waiting and anticipating and when it came back it felt like this weird unorthodox kind of sprint to the end where almost any team seemed in it um which i think actually played out that way it just so happens that the red sox weren't one of those teams and i think at the time that they had as good a chance as any you know, to to with hopes of, of winning. But, you know, things unraveled quickly. You already mentioned, you know, three huge um, gears in the, in the machine that didn't didn't work out on top of that. Chris Sale and then, you know, the snowball that happened. Uh, like, I think uh, if you go back in the these episodes, I was positive, which, you know, shocker, I was positive. But I think that the overall like the overall um, and like thoughts of the Sox, that they'd be pretty competitive, you know. Spoiler alert, they weren't, but, you know, I think at the time it was pretty high, pretty, uh, you know, high praise for the Sox. Chris, how about you? What do you think? No, I think, you know, similar to Matt, I think we wanted to be optimistic about the about the season. You know, as Red Sox fans, you want to be optimistic and, you know, you want to you want to know that your team or think that your team is going to have a really good season. But I, I honestly, you know, if you go back and you think about it, even before spring training was canceled, just kind of the way the offseason lined up, you trade your best player, 
You know what I mean? Like you lose your manager. It just already kind of like things were lining up for it to just not be, you know, a good season for this club. And then, you know, it kind of, it kind of fell that way. You know what I mean? So, but with that being said, I think that there are some pretty good positives that we can pull out of this season though. Cause I mean, I mean, who wants to sit here and listen to us talk about the obvious, talk about how bad the pitching was and talk about some questionable decisions that Renicky made and, you know, rehashing, trading Mookie bets and everything else. Um, I think there was a lot of positives to, to pull out of the season. Some might even say bright spots. Some might even write an article about the bright spots, but we won't get into that right now. <laughs> so, but I, I do want to talk a little bit, a little bit more about the season as it went on. I think we, we knew the pitching was going to be bad but we thought this team could possibly hit their way out of it. So I think the biggest disappointment really was the offense led by J.D. Martinez, who just, you know, after lighting it up on opening night against Baltimore, just never, never seemed to get on track for the rest of the season. And he made his excuses about not being able to use video and things like that, but he just did not look right all season. No, he didn't. And, you know, it's a disappointment, you know, as a huge J.D. Martinez, you know, fan that I am, I was hoping, you know, he would be that anchor uh, of the lineup because other than him, when you really look it up and down the lineup, of course, in the 60 game sample, you're going to have guys slump and that becomes, you know, a little bit more magnified or whatnot. But I think overall, most of the, you know, most hyped batters, you know, they, 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 they held their own, except for Martinez. So he was such a, you know, a letdown on the year. And I know he has in his excuses, uh, but I think, you know, with a guy who's kind of a prima donna, you you know, it comes with the territory. If he's if he's not feeling comfortable, you know, it, 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 it does obviously weigh into his production. Uh, am I happy about it? No. Do I want to, you know, back up his excuses of course not because you never want your favorite players to have excuses but at the same time if that's how he felt that's how he felt and it obviously showed you know the uh the the replays and the the extra cage time and the extra work that he typically puts in he couldn't uh and he expressed that so you know it is what it is but you know as a jd martinez fan obviously i i, I was a little bummed uh that he didn't come out swinging that he like the same way he had the last year yeah, you talk about it being a creature of habit. That That's the impression I get of him is he's so regimented in what he does, and, it, and it's like it doesn't take much to throw somebody like that off completely. Right. And, as, and as Yogi Berra said, 80% of hitting is half mental. So if, <laughs> if your brain is not in the right place, you're not going to be able to hit. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was extremely disappointed in J.D. Martinez this season. You know, um, again, I want to – I said ahead of time in our group chat that I was going to be positive, but let's just call it for what it is here. JD Martinez had a miserable season and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know what it's like to be a major league hitter. But I think that if you're going to, if you're being paid as one of the top hitters in the game, especially at his position, you need to learn how to make adjustments. I don't, I don't really, I don't want to buy into, well, I couldn't watch the film. Well, figure it out because Every other player couldn't watch the film. There were guys who had great years. And I understand how meticulous he is, and I understand that he is a creature of habit. But sometimes habits, they they get broken. 
And you have to show what kind of player that you are and how you can rebound off of that. So I'm going to look to see what he's going to do during the offseason and when we get him back into spring training next season, presuming that he doesn't opt out, which for you know all intents and purposes, it appears he's going to stay here in Boston. But, you know, to hit 213 and, what, seven home runs maybe for the year, 27 RBI, you rely on this guy to be the you know a major force in the middle of your, of your lineup. They can't have that going into next season. Yeah, and, and opting out is what I wanted to talk about with him. I think the season that he had, if you're going to find one silver lining in it, it's the fact that he's probably not going to opt out. Unless you wanted him to opt out, then I guess it's not a silver lining. But I, I don't see any way where he can go into the free agent market now. Stranger things have happened, but I really don't see where I, him or I Boris would, be, would take that chance. I would be surprised. And I, and I, I said on the show, and we, we did a handful of these shows where – you know, I wouldn't have been surprised to see J.D. Martinez opt out. I was wrong. I, you know, this guy would be absolutely foolish because, yeah, there's going to be money in the market. There's certainly going to be money there. I mean, if the Dodgers can pay Mookie Betts the money that he just, you know, signed during the middle of the season, there is going to be cash available to players. But I think that there's going to be a lot of clubs who are going to look at players 30 to 35 as one-year deals. And J.D. Martinez is better suited staying here in Boston, taking the, the money that the Sox initially signed him to. And, you know, maybe the Red Sox would explore moving him during the offseason. I wouldn't put it past time Bloom to look to see what other options are available if he wants to free up that money and, and put it elsewhere within the roster. They probably still have to eat some of you that know, contract, though. I think they still owe him something like $38 million over the next two years. Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't I don't think it's in the Sox best interest to get rid of a a guy like that, you know, a, a, an anchor bat that can really solidify an offense. And you know, I agree with 95% of what you're saying, Chris, but I do think a guy who's developed such a habit on relying on, you know, uh the the replays and the the in it, you know, in-game coaching and in-game adjustments to take that away is a huge disadvantage to that player, you know, by hook or by crook. It's if that's how he made himself, you know, the, the, the quite frankly dominant hitter that he's turned himself into. And now you take that away. I think that's a little bit more of a reason. Um, you know, the way he expressed it was very kind of, it was very diva esque and his exit interview. He talked about how, how hard the COVID season was. And, you know, what he said was not incorrect, uh, but it was a little bit whiny because every other player dealt with it. And, you know, like you said, Chris, other players shined throughout the league. Um, but I do think that this guy is very important to the team. Uh, if he sticks around, I would be very, uh, you know, I'd be very happy about that because I don't think it's a coincidence that when David Ortiz left that or, that the, the, the offense sputtered a little bit and then you get a guy like J.D. Martinez and he really anchored that offense. I think you need that guy whether he bets three, four, or five, uh, and I think he's going to be worth that money. So trading him, I, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think that would be uh, a good thing for the Red Sox. And on top of the, on top of that, the free agent market, you know, that you mentioned, Chris, uh, paying one-year deals for players thirty to thirty-five uh, could actually be what happens if you look at the top free agents out there now. They're pretty much in that age range. So I guess we'll see. 
you know, after the owners look at their books and if they see, you know, a lot of red, maybe this will happen or not. But uh, we'll get a real good indication of, you know, how how spending will uh, will look right away, because, you know, when you look at all the free agents, they're all in that 30 to 35 age range. Yeah. And let me tell you what, like, I'll walk back a little bit on this, and, you know, and say to an extent, you know, me, you know, I'm willing to say if I'm wrong on this, you know, he is an important piece of this lineup. The Red Sox, they need J.D. Martinez, and they need him to be clicking on all cylinders for this offense to go. I mean, there's only so much that Xander Bogarts and, and Rafi Devers are going to be able to do, you know, without the third piece of the puzzle. $19 million is ultimately what his salary is going to be for next season. So in the grand scheme of things, $19 million for a caliber player like J.D. Martinez, and we know what he can do, is a deal. It's a bargain for this club. So providing, you know, if he can get back to what he was, you know, Matt, I, I 100%, like I'm on board. I'm just a little skeptical, you know, again, 34 years old going into next season and the decline, like it was just so massive. It was so quick. Just hope that, you know, we take it for what he said, you know, hey, COVID affected everybody, some people differently than others. And hopefully can return back to form because if this team has any hopes and aspirations of, of rebounding like we think that they can, besides the pitching, J.D. Martinez is, is probably 1A, 1B for what this team needs next season. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, you know, $19 million, when you say that, I, sidebar, I mean, <laughs> when you're talking <laughs> baseball contracts, you say the most outrageous things. Because I was what I was literally just going to say was, you know, $19 million is a steal. Which I mean, that's an incredible amount of money. But when you say when you, when you put it out there, nineteen million for next year, I feel like he could get more than that on the open market. I know he's had a down year, but if every team is going to go into twenty twenty one with a DH, who wouldn't want JD Martinez as their their DH? And if you only had to bump that salary up to twenty five million a year and do it for three years, you know, three years seventy five mil, whatever it is, I feel like someone would do that. But let's hope he's he's true to his word. He's going to opt in. And he's going to be, you know, the anchor of this offense. It only takes two teams to get in a bidding war to drive the price up. And sometimes Boris exactly. can, can make teams bid against themselves. He's been known to do that. And actually, J.D. didn't commit to coming back. He said, I think he said something like, I'm not planning on coming back. or I, I'm not planning on opting out, but it's up to Boris. He said it's up to Scott. So he's, he's He was leaning go. towards opting in. Was... That's what he said. Yes. Thank you. He attributed some of his issues to mechanics, and at the end of the year, he was starting to hit the ball better, driving it more with authority to the opposite field, which is always a good sign for him. Uh, you know, something to do with the lower half of his body and being in sync with starting a swing. That's why he was late on the fastball. So it, it seemed like he was starting to show signs of coming out of it. So I'm sure somebody like Boris will just take that and spin the whole thing. You know, yeah, whatever was wrong with him, it was short-term, and he figured it out, and he'll drive the cost up. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. We'll be riding that wave, I'm sure, on whether he's going to opt in or opt out. But the other yeah, guy, no the other guy I wanted to uh, talk about as far as disappointments offensively, maybe is a guy that a lot of people forgot about was Andrew Benatendi. They tried him in the leadoff spot again. I think we know after what we've seen from him over the last two years that he is not a leadoff hitter. So what really is this guy? He was the number one, number seven pick in, in the first round of the draft when he came out. 
really has not played to the expectations. We all thought he was going to be the next Fred Lynn when he first broke in, and he's had a steady decline over the last three years since his rookie season. So what what can we really expect out of this guy moving forward? Is this somebody you can build around? It's not really somebody you can trade because you're not going to get a damn thing for him with the season he had this year. So I, I think you just got to ride it out with this guy. Yeah, I mean, that's probably going to be the approach considering his value is at an all-time low. Uh, but Bloom came right out of the gate talking about his talent, talking about what he believes he can be. And that tells me one of two things. One, they're trying to you know, pump him up and give him some confidence going into the offseason so that he, you know, continues the work and comes back next spring training uh, ready to ready to go. Or he's trying to inflate that trade market. Because, you know, if I was at the helm, if I was Heim Bloom's, you know, one of his guys, one of his, you know, advice, if I was in his council, my personal opinion would be to trade him. Because I think you could replace him, uh, uh, you know, with far better offensive, uh, you know, talent. And I also think that if you put him in a deal, you know, if you get the right team looking for the right type of player, you can make it work. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know what they'll do. I'm not going to try to pretend like I know that, uh, you know, what Bloom and and his his team's trying to do. But I think that they're at least trying to pump him up one way or another based on the comments they had about him at the end of the season. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the former that they're trying to pump up his confidence. Because I don't think any other team's going to fall for them pumping him up when you look at the type of season he had last year. I mean, you can hit, you can hit a buck fifty, and run into bad luck. You're hitting the ball hard. You're just running into outs. That was not the case with him. He was flailing no. at the plate. He was completely lost. Yeah. But I will say this: like, I mean, the Cleveland Indians were able to. Um, I mean, not they weren't able to. The Texas Rangers were able to trade for Corey Kluber with Delano DeShields and a relief pitcher. So we can't. We obviously cannot, you know, assume that all these GMs are, you know, necessarily smart because they do make kind of dumb moves. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you, Bill. Like, you got to get this guy in the right state of mind. You got to get him ready to work, and you got to get him back in camp next year. You know, try to impress because I know, I, 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 like I said, I would try to trade him, but I don't think the market would be there. Like, you know, on our, was it our last podcast or the one before that, I actually deemed him untradeable because his value was so low, and his value never came up from that. So it's not like I believe he could get you anything. Uh, so, yeah, the, maybe those comments were just to inflate his confidence. But I don't think he know, even played he, after that. I mean, what did, what did he play, three weeks? He's never played. He played those – I mean, he looked lost those three weeks. I mean, we – we poked fun at him during a podcast because he struck out, I think, three times while we were recording. So that wasn't his entire year, but it wasn't far off from his entire year. So, yeah, I, 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 like, I don't think Ben Attendee's really high up in, the, in terms of their, their, their talent hierarchy, you know, throughout their system. But, you know, maybe that's a good thing. You know, maybe he can come in next year and people kind of don't really think about him and he can just kind of come, come under the radar – Bat seventh, bat eighth, and just kind of Jackie Bradley his way up. I don't know. We'll see. Funny you should mention Bradley because if Bradley should leave via free agency, Benatendi could be your center fielder at least to start the season. He definitely could be. Uh, but that's, I think, uh, you know, Bloom wasn't – I don't think it's a coincidence that he put together so many good defensive outfielders uh, in the system. So if they were to lose Bradley, they can go to Benatendi. They could go to Verdugo. They could go to Jaron Duran. So – you know, he has his, his options to play with to see how things pan out. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. Ben Benintendi could he he's good enough defensively. Maybe he is just the next Jackie Bradley. All right, so here's the deal. I'm doubling down on what I said on one of our previous podcasts. I I'm telling you right now that come March when they go to spring training, if Andrew Benintendi is on the Boston Red Sox, I will be absolutely stunned. Andrew Benintendi's days with this team is numbered. I truly believe that. I look at it from a multiple different standpoints. I get it. His his stock and his value is incredibly low. He missed about like 37% of the season being on the injured list. He had a buck. He hit 103. His stats have been on decline the last couple of years. So I kind of look at it like this. Remember on our Celtics podcast, I had said that Marcus Smart needs to like figure out the type of player that he is. Well, I think that's what Andrew Benintendi needs to understand as well. Like, what what exactly is Andrew Benintendi? Because you said it, Bill. He's not a leadoff hitter. He's certainly not someone that you're going to put one through five. So maybe he is just a seven or eight hitter on a really good team. Well, could the Red Sox take Benintendi? Could they take his $5 million a year salary, which is cheap in the grand scheme of things, and dangle him out there to a team that is that is needing an outfielder that's willing to potentially take a chance on a guy who's underperformed, change his scenery, and get back pitching, which is what you still need. Again, I don't know specifically what they could get, but I would entertain it. I really, really would. There are, and you guys just illustrated, there are, there are options. I unfortunately really, really, really think that they're going to re-sign Jackie Bradley Jr. because I don't understand how you don't trade him at the deadline only to let him walk. I mean, do you give him the qualifying offer? I guess we can get into that a little bit later on, but I really think that JBJ is coming back and I hate saying that. So yeah, you get Jaron Duran, Duran could go ahead and did I just go Duran Duran right there? It works. Sounds like you're hungry. You're hungry. Like the wolf, Chris. (laughs) So so Duran could potentially play a left field. Maybe JBJ doesn't come back. He plays center field, but I think the Red Sox, can trade Andrew Benintendi. There have been players in baseball who have had down years that have had a downward spiral statistically that have been traded and other teams have gotten some value back. You even said it, Matt, there are some stupid general managers that are out there. There could be someone that could line up and match up with high employment. I mean, look at the Sox got for Brandon Workman and um, Keith Hembry. You know, they got Pavetta and a really, Siebold. you know, pretty decent, yeah, Seabold, a top 30 prospect. I, you know, look at what they got from Mitch Moreland. Now, granted, Mitch Moreland's having a great year. I think they can move him. I think they could. I'll be shocked if he's here next season. Chris, I don't want to, I don't mean to put you on the spot. So you, if you haven't put much thought into it, you can completely tell me that, you know, t- t- you can tell me that. But if you were the GM mm-hmm. and you were tasked with trading Andrew Benatendi, Yep. Is there a certain target you have in mind, a certain route you have in mind, someone you may want to bring in for him or something you think would be a good fit? Yeah, so I, I thought about it a little bit. So I thought about that if I was to trade Andrew Benintendi that I would look to get young, controllable starting pitching. I'd look to try to get a deal very similar to what they did with San Diego to trade Mitch Moreland, and they got the, you know, those two um, – top 30 prospects that granted there were offensive prospects for the Padres. I look for something like that because I think that you could, you could on a short term. And I said it in our last podcast or one of the last podcasts, you can go in and get a guy like Michael Brantley 
that you could plug in to play left field. You know, he could hit, you know, in the upper tier of the lineup for the Red Sox. You know what I mean? If, if this team is looking to potentially win now, Brantley could, you know, check a couple of boxes there. So I would look to that from a free agent standpoint to replace Andrew Benintendi. Now I understand that Brantley's had some injury history in the past and, you know, hasn't always played a complete season, but he'd be an option that I would have, but I would look to the route to continue to get younger and get controllable starting pitching, similar to what they did with that San Diego move, or even on a lesser, a lesser deal. I, I mean, I get it. You're going to be selling somewhat low. Now, they could go the complete opposite and see if Andrew Benintendi can, you know, raise his stock and then they move him next season. But I don't see it. Let me let me put this situation out there. Just a, just a, you know, take it as you will. Ben Charrington was the guy who drafted Andrew Benintendi seventh overall, right? Am I right in that? I think I'm right in that. That is correct. He is now the team builder of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Could you see a scenario where maybe you trade him to Pittsburgh and get like a Jamison Tyone who's been hurt, who's gone through obviously off-field stuff that is not baseball related, so maybe his stock is a little low. You think maybe something like that can happen? I mean, what do you think? Trade him back to the guy who believed in him when they took him seventh overall? It's an option, right? Yeah, and, and I'll be honest with you. I don't think that's a bad idea. I just don't think that the player that you named is the guy that they would potentially get. I look at maybe more of like a Joe Musgrove who would probably be the return back Ooh. because because to me, like Italian is a guy that he was what on the IL this season. He projects as more of a top of the rotation kind of guy. Like that's Pittsburgh really selling low right there. Um, in, in a package back for Benintendi. Like if I'm, if I'm Ben Charrington, I, that, that guy is one of my few tradable commodities. Like I'm going to command a package back for him. I would probably look more to the Joe Musgrove piece. I mean, I like that, you know, six foot five right-hander, you know what I mean? Like he, he used to pitch with Houston. He's pitched there. I mean, you don't need him to come in here to be an ace. He'd, he'd fill out in that rotation. I mean, I, I, I look at it something like that. Or, you know, maybe you, you package together and you get and you replenish the bullpen a little bit. But right. again, I, I kind of look at bullpen guys as more of like a year to year, unless you have that like legit stud guy that you that you have out in the bullpen. Bullpen arms are like a year-to-year piece. And you're not getting a legit stud in an Andrew Benatendi deal. Unfortunately, you, not right now. You're going to no. give up a lot more than that. You mentioned – Yeah, uh, when you're talking but, to him, yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to get kind of like, you know, a Nick Pavetta type, like you mentioned earlier. Like just, yeah, you're getting a reclamation project uh, back. Exactly. Another guy who exactly. needs to change the scenery from where he is. Right. Right, which can work out. You know, if they, if they find that, that's fine. So you mentioned uh, Jared Duran. Duran. Uh, I, I don't see him starting the year with the team. I think he's going to have to get, you know, some work in the minors next year if they have a minors next year. Um, and also with uh, with the arbitration situation, they're not going to want to bring him up right away, so that he won't get his service time. So they'll get an extra year of service out of him down the road. So that means you're probably looking at bringing in a free agent like a Kevin Pillar or somebody like that at least short-term, to start the season, and then maybe Duran comes up at some point after the start of the season, you know, like what Chavis did, or, or yeah. come up like in late well, April, they, early early May, so you get that extra year of service time out of him. 
Right. I mean, most of these prospects have defensive issues, and I know this is a podcast platform, so you can't see me, but I'm doing the rabbit ears. It's defensive issues that keep them in the minors until, coincidentally, you know, their service time uh, rolls on an additional year of control. I mean, we saw that with Nick Pavetta this year. Um, but the thing about Duran that I could see him coming up right away was how electric and how good he looked in that Pawtucket, uh, you know, what do they call it? The, uh, the, the, the alternative site is what they called it. The alternate site. He looked fantastic. He attacked all opposing pitching and he, you know, I can see them calling up because at the end, like if, if Bloom decides to attack the off season and attack 2021, which I think we'll get into soon enough, uh, uh, you know, I think that Durant could be that outfielder, but you're right, Bill. Maybe they want to play it because service time is like gold to these team builders. So maybe you bring in a guy and, you know, maybe have Ben Attendee be the center fielder for the first month. Who knows? But, yeah, I, I think Durant, he looked good, and we'll see. One thing you got to keep in mind, there's a huge asterisk on that alternative site because he was facing the pitching that wasn't good enough to play on the major league team this year and we know how bad that pitching oh, was certainly certainly but i mean that's kind of like that's almost like a roundabout way of explaining triple a no if he was in the Pawtucket red sox playing against, playing against the scranton sure. yankees yeah. or whatever is probably the same but it, it's not so much of who he did it against it was how it looked like he i mean he was smashing opposite field home runs he was crushing Balls to left field, uh, right field. Like, he looked real good. But, yeah, at the end of the day, no matter how – I mean, Chris Bryant was held back because of his defensive reasons. So, you're probably right. They will probably, you know, hold him back from the opening day roster. The comp to Duran that I heard that I thought was a good one was Grady Sizemore when he was in his prime. Not when he played for the Red Sox, when he, when he came up with the Indians. No, no. So is there anybody else? I mean, we've already, in the last podcast, we talked about um, the guys who we thought were untradeable, you know, like Verdugo, you know, the guys who had good seasons. I don't think we need to touch on them. I mean, Verdugo, he had a great season, proved he could play in this market. Yeah, maybe he was he benefited a little bit from the delayed start and from no fans in the stands. But just from what I saw of the kid, I, I don't really think that if fans were in the stands, I think he would have been the type that would have fed off of that even more. So I, I don't think we have to worry about him. So is there anybody else that you think is is worth talking about as either a disappointment or that was uh, a, a bright spot, so to speak? Yeah, I think that we – I don't want to – let's not sell Alex Verdugo short here because I, I feel like this is this is a guy that when the Red Sox got him, he was – it was – you know, he had a lot kind of stacked against him. Again – not needing to be Mookie Betts, but when you're treated for Mookie Betts, there's a ton of pressure that's there. So he had that going against him. He had some of that off the field stuff that surfaced back up from when, you know, when he was a younger prospect with the Dodgers, he was injured. He missed a, you know, a chunk of the previous season with that back injury. There was numerous fans who basically called him damaged goods. Yeah, he did 100% benefit from the delayed start due to COVID. But the for me, super encouraging is that he proved that he can play in this market. And I look forward to when they can, like you said, Bill, when they got fans in the crowd, like this dude is going to just feed off it. He was really just like 
that like dirt dog. You know, we haven't really felt or seen that type of player for the Red Sox in a while. And it was super encouraging to see that hit over 300. He had multiple, you know, hitting streaks throughout the season. He's probably going to win a gold glove. I'd be shocked if he did it with the amount of the assists that he had in the outfield. He was a special player for them in, in a season that was just, you know, constantly just, you know, hit with just negative, negative press throughout the entire season. I just, I really don't want his season to kind of not be looked at with a little more like fanfare around it. Cause I think that he delivered. No, you're absolutely right. I, I didn't mean to sell him short. I just thought that we talked about him a lot on the last podcast. So I really didn't think that we needed to revisit it, but do you guys want to revisit I just wanted to pump his, I, well, hey, pump his it's tires. It's about positivity. I want to bring oh, that positivity right. back because we want to be, when I get that positivity back into the podcast right now. And I, I you know, besides him though, uh, there's another player that I thought was again, lower, lower tier player, but Phillips, Phillips Valdez, he was a, like a, just a, a fine. He was a waiver claim for Heim Bloom. He pitched pretty well for this, you know, for the Red Sox out of the bullpen. He was like one of the few bright spots coming onto the pen. He finished the year one and one. He had a three, two, six ERA, but for a good chunk of the season, he was pretty unhittable in 30 innings. So, you know, I was kind of excited. I think that there's something there with him, especially coming back into into next season. And then I think last but not least, Tanner Hawk. I mean, how can you not be excited for what we saw with this kid in what three starts that he had with the club? He was what three and zero. He had a .53 yard rain. Again, I get it. It's three starts, and I don't want to go ahead and uh, you know anoint this kid like a you know the next you know ace of the Red Sox, but. It looked really, really good. And it was three starts against the Blue Jays, the Yankees, and the Braves. So n- yeah, not I, slouch teams that he was facing. Not at all. You know, not at all. And it, it makes you wonder, like, damn, like, where was this kid all season long? But one of the few bright spots that, you know, that they had, I mean, I think that there was, you know, there was some others. You know, we saw Pavetta go, you know, he went 2-0. and Looks like he's going to be providing that he carries into next season again small sample size though looks like a you know pretty solid steal from the Phillies in that in that trade um and and even if you look at some of these guys their stats I mean Martin Perez I think you bring him back I think that the Red Sox exercise that option it's like six and a half I think you bring him back I don't I don't think that he's that he did more harm than he did I, I think that he he was pretty serviceable for this team yeah, I'll agree with Definitely. I'll agree with that. And I did write an article around the trade deadline, and he was one of the guys that I was driving to the airport. But that was also on a night where he was pitching with a blister and got absolutely lit up. So it, that was bad timing on my my part. Yeah, other than you know, he had a couple of bad starts. I think his last start didn't go so hot either. But uh, for the most part, you know, he was signed to be a fifth starter and give you depth. And if that's what you're going the role you're gonna bring him back in next year for six and a half million, yeah, I I definitely take a flyer on that one. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. He was, you know, he, he he had a 4.5 ERA, so it's nothing like really, you know, nothing too big to ride home about. But it was very serviceable, and he looked good in, in times. And if he's your number five starter, like, he could he definitely be stretches. pretty good. He had some oh, yeah. stretches where, where he pitched pretty well. And, I mean, shocker, the bullpen didn't really exactly hold it. So, um, you know. Yeah, you got to take the one-loss record and just throw that out the window now in baseball. You got to – I think the biggest thing to look at with him is, you know, he was 12 starts, 62 innings, 
55 hits, 31 earned runs, eight home runs. You know, maybe once he slots down in the correct spot on the rotation and the pressure isn't on him to be something that he's not, and he had to be. You know, you you lose Erod, you lose Chris Sale, you you lost Nathan Evaldi, again, shocker, for a short period of time. There's a guy that I think the Red Sox should entertain trading in the offseason. And we talk about the offseason a little bit more as we go through this podcast. I think it, this is a guy that you need to look at. But Well, the good news with him was um, it wasn't his arm again. It was a calf. In, I think it was a calf. It was yeah. Something yeah, it was I, a calf. Yeah, so it, it I, wasn't his arm again. It wasn't loose bodies or something like that. So that's somewhat encouraging for Evaldi. $17 right. million dollars for a guy that can't, ha- you know, he he just will never pitch a complete season. No, I, I agree with you on that one. But, again, it all depends on what you can get in a deal, obviously. I think that goes without saying. But I, I think if you did trade him, you'd probably still have to eat some of his salary. So with them being as, as starved for pitching as they are, you, you've got to get something decent back in return. And they've got few proven options at the major league level because you know sales not going to be ready to start the season. So you're in the hole with that. Who knows what's going to happen with Erod? Is he going to be able to recover from COVID? So right now, Evaldi's your ace. And let me tell you who I don't want to see back next season. I don't want any more of, like, the Dylan Coveys. I don't want any more of, I mean, hell, even Kyle Hart just, like, imploded at the major league level. You know, Matt Hall had an 18.69 ERA all sorts of set with those kind of guys. Like I want them to get depth, but it's time to get the right depth and get, you know, serviceable depth. Cause all these guys were all DFA for the most part, all DFA related uh, players that no one else wanted. Godly. So yeah, I, I, Godly, you can go through the whole list. Godly was godly awful. Triggs, Triggs was bad. Hart Triggs, was yeah. bad. Maza was bad. Like, uh, no, Mazza wasn't too, too bad. Kick em. I, I mean, I wouldn't. They were all pretty yeah, bad. Kick them when they're kick up, kick them the when they're down. Yeah. Henry Jeffrey's... Owens, godson, yeah, he was bad too. <laughs> yeah. Jeff... Jeffrey Springs, I mean, I, I honestly thought Colton Brewer was going to have a better season. But, again, I, I there's a guy that I don't really see them moving because he's he's good, he's controllable. They they have a handful more years with him, but. All right, we said we weren't going to do this. Right, let's get to the positive stuff. Negative. You guys both told, told me let's you were going to bring the positivity. So let's talk about Ron Redekin being let go. Was that a surprise oh, to anybody? No, like, was, he felt like yeah. a placeholder all year. Yeah. I, I, I feel bad for the guy. I think he, he really got a raw deal. He did. He was, I mean, even in his interviews throughout the season and, you know, the clips that he gave the, the media, was it was very much, it sounded like a guy – collecting a paycheck, who knew his days were numbered. Uh, you know, there was really not a whole lot. Uh, there wasn't a lot of substance that came from Renicky, at least on the surface. Who knows behind the scenes, you know, how he was with the players or whatever. Uh, you know, I don't have access to that. But uh, from what I read in the, you know, online and in the newspapers and whatnot, it just seemed like he knew he was a placeholder. The organization knew he was a placeholder. And sadly, the players knew he was a placeholder. Bogarts got very emotional. Uh, in his press conference after the last game of the season about Renicky being let go. I don't know if you saw it, but he was he was almost in tears talking about it. Well, I didn't see that. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, didn't know. I mean, he has had he does have a relationship. He was Cora's bench coach, so he was 
you know, he had been around prior to just this one season. So, you know, like I said, I don't, the players, maybe they, they, they you know, they loved him. I'm not sure, but uh, it just didn't seem like there was that, that real connection like Cora had, or, you know, someone you'd hope the manager would have. So speaking of Cora, seeing you brought his name up, do you think he's a viable candidate to come back? I think he, yeah, I think he's a viable candidate, but I think we'd be remiss to just go ahead and just anoint him the next manager of the Red Sox. I think that as fans, we need to do our due diligence and kind of, you know, look at every single potential candidate because if you look at some of the moves from a player perspective that Heimblum has made, he hasn't exactly gotten the people that we would expect, so to speak, back in trades and returns and things like that. So I'm thinking that Heim Bloom could be looking at something completely different than what we might be. You know, maybe Heim Bloom just really wants to bring in his own guy. And some of the comments that Heim Bloom has made since the end of the season isn't exactly a ringing endorsement that Alex Cora is going to be back with the Red Sox. You know, I mean, would he slot back in there and bring this team back and, you know, you know, lead the franchise. I, I, I think that he would, but, you know, Cora is also connected right now with the Tigers, uh, which, you know, could be a viable fit there. I just, I think that we need to just like how Heim Bloom's going to, I just think that we as Sox fans need to look at a lot of other candidates because I think that we're going to be ultimately surprised with who the Red Sox bring in. No, I think that's a good point you bring up. And, you know, you, you, you've mentioned Sandy, uh, Alomar Jr. in the past, which I am all for because yep. as a former catcher, I'm always a sucker catcher. for catchers that, you know, become managers. I, I second um, that. I, I, yeah, I, I, I like, I would like that. And I think, um, you know, I think core would be a great fit to come back if, you know, all sides merged well, uh, you know, the management, uh, players and Alex Cora himself are all down to come back. I would welcome with welcome him back with open open arms. Um, but I also I wouldn't be sad if they go after a similar, you know, type of type of guy. You know, somebody who's laid back, a player's guy, someone who could connect with the younger guys. So like, I, although I am pulling for Alex Cora, I would say I'm not necessarily all eggs in that one basket. No, and what I like about Sandy Alomar is, one, look who he's worked under for the last handful of years. Terry Francona, probably one of the best managers in the game. You know, obviously we're very familiar with Terry Francona here. Um, former catcher, he's he's done many different, he's held many different roles throughout the course of his coaching career as he's come up with either the Mets and obviously with the Indians, he's their bench coach right now. He also was the manager of the Indians for a period of time, and Terry Francona was unable to manage the team this season. I think that – And did very well Sandy during Alomar, that stretch too. And he, and he did. And I think he's a, he's a viable candidate. I think he would be able to connect with their, with their Latino players. I think that he could be very, very similar to an Alex Cora. And I just – I kind of look at what Tampa Bay has. Tampa Bay has – Kevin Cash. I think that that Bloom is going to look towards somebody who is analytical, that's going to have the connection with the players, and I feel like Sandy Alomar checks a few of those boxes. Yeah, I agree with you. And prior managerial experience doesn't even matter. Look at it, David Ross getting the job with the Cubs. He came out of the broadcast booth. So, so mm-hmm. they're looking for that type of guy that can relate to the players and is 
pretty close to his playing days, although Alomar may be a little bit further away than, than say, a Ross was. But, yeah, that's that seems to be the type of guy. Do either one of you seeing see a Jason Veritek as a candidate? I, I need, we need to stop with it. Like, I don't – I think that Veritek – I think Baratek needs to show that he can be part of a coaching staff. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it, I don't get the impression yeah. that he wants it. Right. I think he's just content guess, to just be around the team. He also yeah. isn't. Veritek isn't. Veritek comes off to me as more of like an extra, an instructional guy, someone more hands on, helping the players out more than a manager. Like a lot of what goes into being a manager is handling the media, handling the you know the day to day aspect of the players, and. He's not really shown that that's something he wants to do or something he can do. Uh, I think he's like a he seems to be a good uh, coach in terms of the X's and O's of baseball, uh, but I don't know if he wants to be an actual manager. No, but I'm sure his name will be I floated out there by the Pink Hat crowd. So will Pedro Martinez and David Ortiz and all and those Jerry Ramsey, Maloney. Yeah, all those crazy ideas. And, and those are just like those are just easy names to kind of gravitate and flow to because you go back, you look at the early 2000s, you see what 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 he was part of, and you think, oh, he was a great catcher. That means that he's going to be great, you know, leading a team as a manager. No, it doesn't always translate that way, you know. So, really, I honestly, at the end of the day, like, just if there are fans who legitimately really think that Jason Veritek is going to be Red Sox manager, then these are the ones that, to your point, pink hat, they're going to, when they go to these games, they're scooping up and buying up all the stuff that you don't need to buy. They're spending the hundreds and hundreds of dollars on, you know, and, and just kind of like taking the selfies in the crowd and doing it for Instagram and everything else. Like they are just not connected in any way whatsoever with being a Red Sox fan. Like what Jason Veritek, like I agree with you guys. I think his role and what is valuable to this team is exactly what he's done the last couple of years. Maybe after a few more seasons of doing that, he thinks like, hey, you know what? Let me take a crack at being a hitting coach or maybe go to the bullpen or something along those lines. That might be the, the route with it. Again, you don't need to have managerial experience to be a manager in baseball. I just I don't see Jason Veritek leading at least the Boston Red Sox. It always amazes me when the fans talk about bringing back the players that they liked. And the, and the better the player, the worse manager or coach in any sport that they end up being. You can count probably on one hand the number of great players who have turned out to be great coaches and managers. Seriously, in any sport. Like, I mean, the, the, let's try to do this. Let's try to do this off the, top, off the cuff. Is Phil but, Jackson, they kind of... He the, wasn't a great player in his day. He wasn't no, a, okay. He wasn't, he wasn't okay. a superstar. I thought he was a pretty good. Okay, so then no, I can't think of anything. The closest I can think I, of some, like, Larry Bird. Uh, but he yeah, wasn't that great. He wasn't that great of a coach, like no. McHale. But you know, he had some success as a coach. Um, yeah, decent. You're right. He was okay. Frank Robinson. Frank Robinson. That might be. That's a good example. Yeah, that's a good example. He was a great player and a pretty good coach. I'm trying to like remember. What about like Kevin McHale? He was a horrible coach. He gave us Kevin Garnett. Though. Hey. And he was he was a great Celtics GM for Minnesota. Yeah, you're right. It's true. It great play. I mean, Isaiah Thomas was a horrific coach. He still is wherever college he's coaching at, whatever. Yeah, you're right. I guess superstars don't make great coaches. Another interesting name that I heard out there was Sam Fult, which would be the Tampa Bay connection to Heim Bloom. 
And Sam Folds is a baseball darling. He is ever since he retired, he's been in front offices. He's like a you know like a Kevin Cash, super analytical, you know, very smart guy apparently. And uh, and I, from New Hampshire, I would. He's from New Hampshire, so, so he might have like, you know exactly, which is always great to sell people. But I gotta say, like I I don't. I, I think that with given the Red Sox and their superstars, I think you need to get a guy, and maybe Sam Blue, uh, uh, Sam Fold can. Uh, I think you need to get a guy who can understand and speak Spanish pretty fluently. I just think that's a good aspect to have. It it seemed to be a huge benefactor benefactor for Cora. I think it would be you know, obviously Sandy Al- Alomar Jr. can speak Spanish. I think with the Sox nucleus, I think it's important to get a guy. He doesn't have to necessarily like have. You know, he doesn't have to be from Puerto Rico like Alex Cora or anything like that, but uh, a guy that can speak Spanish to the Spanish players, I think, would be a huge better factor for this Wait, team. Wait, Cora was from Puerto Rico? Uh, was it Puerto Rico? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Hashtag sarcasm. <laughs> All right, so let's tie it back to the great players who can speak Spanish and were fan favorites. Mike Lowell. Man, I mean, I'm tingling right now. <laughs> I would love it if michael i know he's started to dabble in terms of being back on the field and interacting with players again but you know similarly to to veritech i don't know if he's you know taking on that responsibility and learning the ways of a manager so i don't know if he's an option but yeah I, that's something that i would you know i i'd be real excited if michael was a candidate he kind of strikes me as kind of like that um he would be like how the Yankees plucked Aaron Boone. You know, I, I was, you know, when, when the Yankees hired Aaron Boone, I was kind of surprised that they went that route. You know, maybe Mike Lowell kind of fits, you know, that bill a little bit similar. I mean, again, he would have that connection with the players. I think the biggest thing is, you know, having the relatability to your clubhouse. You know, I, I, don't, I can't really foresee them bringing in like one of these like older guys. And when I say older, I mean like, you know, the the different minds of like the game, like not saying they'd ever bring a Bobby Valentine style of manager back to the Red Sox. But I, I think that's what they want to get away from. I think you need to bring in that like that newer, fresh perspective. Like, again, analytics is where this game's going. We're not going to the touch and feel of how the game is any longer. It's really about, you know, what Carmine is telling you what to do. Um, I think Mike Lola wouldn't be a bad choice either. I think he I, I mean, he. He said in the past that he'd be interested in, in potentially um, pursuing a managerial career. Maybe maybe this is the time. I think what they need to find is, what's the name of the manager of the Padres? Jamie Tingler or something like that? Yep, Jace uh, Tingler. Jace Tingler. Mm-hmm. When he was hired, I, re- I recall we kind of made fun of him, like, who is this guy? Yep. But I think he's exactly yep. the type of guy that teams are looking for. Mm-hmm. Young, relatable, analytical, smart guy that can relate to mm-hmm. the players. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the new frontier in terms of hiring a, a manager is a guy who can relate to young players and players throughout the organization, but also, you know, voice that analytical approach that basically every uh, front office kind of preaches. So, yeah, that would be exactly what they're looking for. So aside from a, a manager and aside from pitching, do you see any other needs on this team? I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think they need to get more athletic in their infield. Um, Bobby Dalbach coming up and hitting makes this a, ho- a hell of a lot more difficult. 
to figure out. Tristan Cassis down in the minor leagues looking like he's, I don't know, a few months away next year from being in the bigs is going to make that difficult. Um, so I don't know if they are going to have that chance to really get more athletic in the infield. Um, that's just a, I personally think that's something they should focus on, but I don't think they're going to be able to accomplish it given, you know, the hype behind some of the guys that they're not going to be able to just get rid of. Well, you do need a second baseman. I don't think you had you don't yeah, you don't I have think, that I answer on your roster that right guy. now. I don't think Jeter Downs, think Downs is going to be ready. He, I think he, I think Jeter yeah, Downs could... is similarly. I think Jeter Downs is. They're not going to put. I don't believe they'll put someone at second base that's going to be a block or an obstacle for Jeter Downs. I think it would be a guy that they can easily cast aside when he's ready because they want him there. Reports are already coming out that he's fit to be a second baseman over a shortstop. Um, You know, he showed some power in the alternative site. So I don't think that they're going to go get like a LeMayhew to play second. I think they'd get somebody who's more of a, Put, you know, lack of a better term, a pushover, so that when he is ready, they have that spot waiting for him. You know what I think it's going to be? It's already it, He's already in-house. Dustin Pedroia? Christian Arroyo. Christian Arroyo. Oh, and, I, I just... It, the, you know what just small. happened to me? The opposite of when you brought up Michael <laughs> Lowe. The anti-tingles? The anti-tingles. The he shakes? Is. Would that be the shit? I don't know what it was. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, in a, in a very small sample size, he hit pretty well at the Sox. Again, small sample size. Career 293 hitter in the minors. He, again, small sample size, decent stats, but 37 plate appearances. He, you know, he's a former top prospect. Ish. Could, ish. Uh, well, ish. Former, no, former he's ish. Engine. He's been traded a lot because he's a fringe guy. He's not really a top prospect. But again, you're not looking for you're not looking for two, three years out of this player. You're looking for someone to really kind of keep the seat warm for a year. If you know, not no, going to cost right. you a you're lot. Right. No, you're right because he and they also can move him aside for downs if he's ready. So you know, I, I guess like I'm not excited about that, but that does seem like a logical fit. I'm looking at the list of free agent second basemen right now, potential free agent second basemen. You've got guys like Jason Kipnis, Jonathan Scope. I mean, there's not a lot of, of big names in here, but the, you know, Josh Harrison. Maybe that's like you know guys that you can bring in for a year, year and a half, to keep the seat warm for Jeter Downs if he's going to be the guy. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I could see that being the I I, I don't know. I feel like... Again, this is just my personal opinion. I don't. I, I haven't worked. You know, I haven't seen all of Gina da- Jeter Downs at bats and his practice and whatnot. But I just hope. I I feel like the time is now to start getting these younger kids going and getting them in the bigs sooner rather than later. So like hearing a go year, year and a half. I don't. I'm not really on board with that. But that doesn't mean anything because who who cares what I think. I'm just. I don't know. I think. Uh, I think he's going to be ready earlier than that, I guess, is my overall point. So maybe a guy like Christian Royal, But all the names you mentioned also, Bill, like those guys are perfect placeholders for a guy, for a guy like Downs. So, you know, Scope is not a sexy name by any means. But they, if you look at his, his attributes and if you look at his baseball reference page, it's not, not that bad. He can give you production at second base. And the thing that jumps out at me is he's only 29 years old. 
I would have thought he was a lot older right. than that. He's been around for a while. Right. He feels like a long time. Yeah. This is, if he let let's, hypothetically he signed with the Sox, I think the Sox would be his fifteenth in his career, something like that. He's he's bounced around quite a bit. It was the Orioles, the Twins, the, the Tigers. So Milwaukee. Maybe that is the type of guy. Milwaukee. Milwaukee yeah, yeah. Exactly. All right, enough of the enough of the bad stuff. Let's let's get positive. You guys both told me you were going to bring the positive. You said you both told me you tested positive. So I, I want to hear this. I want to hear the positivity. Hit me with it. <laughs> All right. I said this on Twitter maybe two weeks ago, maybe longer. It was at the end of the Red Sox season that I was formulating this take. So I'll reveal it now. I believe. Well, I don't believe. This is just my opinion that it was more beneficial for the Sox long-term success to fall out of the top two picks in the draft than it was for them to continue to lose throughout the end of the season. After you were tweeting all those those videos of the stud pitchers at Vanderbilt, now now you're telling me you don't want those guys? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I don't want them. I would love to get Kumar Rocker or Al Al Leiter's kid, uh, Jack Leiter. I like both of them. But after digging into the research and after looking into the potential mock drafts of the next year, there are actually five legit high-end prospects. So, you know, there's a long time until the next draft. It is possible that one of those guys fall to pick four. But this is this is my main my main point here. I think the Sox Putting a get putting together a little momentum at the end of the season, having guys like Hauk, Ivaldi, and Pavetta all pitching well to end the season, I think is going to light a fire under Bloom, and I think it's going to allow him to attack. I think it's going to give him confidence to attack the off season and to not think of a three year rebuild, to think of a one year turnaround that gets them ready to compete in 2021. Uh, gives him the confidence and the motivation and the momentum to go after a guy like a Trevor Bauer, to go after some bullpen arms, to win right away. And I think that sacrificing, let's just say hypothetically, they sacrifice both Leiter and Kumar, getting the fourth pick, building momentum, giving optimism to the front office, I think will allow this team to succeed next year and going forward and create that sustainability that he talked about in his introductory press conference. So you don't think he's going to go with the Tampa Bay model and build that way? You think he's going to be more aggressive and no. sign free agents? I think that when you if, – if, listen, if you got keys to a Porsche, you don't drive it like a pickup truck. You drive it like a Porsche. I know what he did in, in, in Tampa Bay, but his resources allowed him to only do it that way. You're not in Tampa Bay anymore. You're in Boston. You're in one of the biggest markets in all of sports. You are as marquee of a name in terms of the, the, the executive landscape as there is. If you feel like you can compete in 21, 2021, you go after those guys. You go at, You try to win. And you build around that nucleus. He's already spoken about how, how how happy he is and how confident he is in the nucleus that they already have in place at the big league level. And I think seeing guys like Hauk, Pavetta, Ivaldi, I mean, throughout the entire season, a guy like Perez, I mean, these are these are bright spots on a crappy season. But I think those are the type of things that will give him confidence to go after Trevor Bauer, to go after a, a Marcus Stroman, to to 
to trade for a, a good bullpen arm, to try to win right away. And I know it's not what he's used to in Tampa, but guess what, Mr. Bloom? You are not in Tampa anymore. You are you are the, the team builder of the Boston Red Sox, and you have the resources to get after it. And I hope and I really do believe that this team gave him reason to go after it. Well, Tom Werner came out right before the end of the season saying that this year was unacceptable and that they were going to be active and they were going to build the team back up. So that gives me the indication that they're going to spend money. The thing that always scares me with that is are you going to go out and you're going to sign somebody like a Carl Crawford and overpay for a guy or a Pablo Sandoval and and overspend just to make that splashy signing to to sell tickets and to get your ratings up on Nesson, which absolutely tanked this year to no surprise. The ratings were just horrendous. So are they going to have a knee-jerk reaction and go out and try to make that splashy signing, whoever that may be? I don't really think there's that many players out there, but you just don't want to see them overspend. But I said all along that I that I no. thought that Bloom had the background that he could build up the depth in the system as he did in Tampa while still being able to use the resources of the Red Sox to go out and get the bigger players. I don't see any reason why you can't have it both ways. But a lot of people just thought they were going to become the Rays and just become a, uh, a team of nameless players with interchangeable parts. And I don't really see why you can't have a hybrid kind of along the Dodgers model, what they've done how they've built up their farm system, but yet they can still have the money and, and the flexibility to go out and get that free agent and build up the team and compete year after year after year. Yeah, and that's a fantastic point that you bring up because I think because the Rays are uh, you know, the familiar to the Boston fan base, they're in our division so they see how they operate. I think you know, people around here believe that the analytical uh, gold standard is the Rays, but it's not. You, it, it, you are 100% right, Bill. It's the Dodgers. Andrew Friedman and what he built in L.A. is the gold standard for team building in baseball. He's built, a, a, obviously, an incredibly competitive roster at the big Can league we level. Call them a wagon? He continues. Uh, you know what? Let's call you. You're the you. You have the Travers blood. You have to do it. Put the curse on it. I'm okay with it. Go ahead and do it. I can't do that to Mr. Bessie. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, with the yeah, Cowboys I off to a rough start, I'm worried about him as it is. So I'm not going to put the wagon curse I know. on the Dodgers. And a little, you know, a little fourth wall breaking the fourth wall inside baseball here. We tried to go him into a little bit of an argument between Cam and Dak. He didn't even, he didn't <laughs> even bite. That's how, that's how demoralized he must feel as, as, as a Cowboys fan. Text message but anyway, that was extremely entertaining on on uh, last night. I've got to say. It's very, Extremely, I was uh, laughing out loud reading some of the texts that were going back and forth. We we honestly could probably start a Patreon and people could pay to watch that those conversations because it is grade A top choice, awesome entertainment all not, the time. Not exactly that, that PG thirteen most of the time either. No, that's why you got to pay. You got to pay to play it for it's that. Like one. cable, you got you got to pay that extra. <laughs> yeah, that's not ABC. That's HBO. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely after dark. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's HBO after dark. That's not ABC prime time. But no, I think that's the gold standard. And I think he came, I mean, Bloom came from the Rays, yes. But in terms so of the, the delineation, he came from Friedman. He He's a guy, he's a, a Friedman disciple. So I hope that's the approach he takes. And luckily for Red Sox fans and maybe for Bloom, uh, you know, He's not there. Aren't, there aren't the Carl Crawfords and the Adrian Gonzalez's necessarily out there for him to make that mistake. Uh, more of the high-end free agents are pitching, and 
you know, based on the circumstances of those pitchers, I don't think he can really get himself into too much trouble. Um, so I think that if, if he takes the nucleus that he has, he is very aggressive on the open market for pitching. I don't see why the Red Sox can't be a front runner for World Series in 2021. Oh, front runner, oh. I think might be a stretch. I think they can't. It's a stretch. Yeah, it's a stretch because it's a stretch because of the word front runner, not because of the reality of the team. People are going to look at their performance in 2020 and be like, they can't be a front runner. But if you look at the players, and let's just say hypothetically they bring in a Bauer, they bring in a Marcus Stroman, they go out and get some bullpen arm, and they they they, they fortify this nucleus, like they will be considered a quote unquote dark horse. But that's because they suck this year. They could absolutely be a front runner for 2021. All right, there's my positivity. Chris, hit me with your positivity. You've been awful quiet for the last five minutes. I know you want to say something. Well, I have a lot to say. You know, Matt, I I do agree that the Red Sox need to spend like they're going to buy a Corvette, but be prepared because they're going to end up with a Prius. Like, that's really kind of like what it's going to end up being this offseason. Define that. Define that. you you got to elaborate yeah. on that because Prius is a very valuable car for many, many people. They are. They are. They're, they're, we talked hybrid, right? So you can get a hybrid Prius. They're very, uh, they, they, they're very beneficial to the environment. So I look at the Red Sox and the way that they're going to build this team. Again, if you can mirror it off of the Los Angeles Dodgers, I think you're doing yourself a favor. I think that that's the way to go. You have a great scouting department with a great minor league system with a great MLB roster. I think that if you could, um, I think that if you can put the two and two together, they have something there. Now, I think Bauer, he's kind of a dark horse as it is just in general. If you get him, it's really just going to be a one-year deal. You know, he's he has said in the past that he's really looking to sign one-year deals unless he signs with his childhood team, which is the Los Angeles Dodgers. So now is Bauer one year, $28, 30000000 million? Is that something that you see Heimblum doing for one yes. year? Yes, yes. Okay. Now, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little weary on Marcus Stroman because I feel like he would kind of be like – for a lesser extent, like would he, the way that he is so active on social media and how he gets in on certain things, there are things that he gets on in social media that are super important. But then there are some other things that he kind of just like harps on. It kind of reminds me of like David Price 2.0. And I wonder if he mm. ultimately would be a good fit for this market. See, you I know? look at him as more as Alex Verdugo from the a pitcher version of Alex Verdugo. The guy be. brings so the guy brings a ton of fire and. You know, the in, in terms of his, in terms of Marcus Stroman's market value, I think he could really benefit from a one-year prove-it deal, and that's kind of where I'm settling in on when it comes to Marcus Stroman. If you tell me that there's an offer on the table for the Sox to sign him for four years, I don't know if I'm really, in, really into that. I look at him and as I'm a guy who needs to prove I it. Think he's, we, yeah. I think he's gonna have no, to no, be no, a prove-it because. He, he had injury problems in 19, and then he opted out for this year. So he's exactly. going to have to be on a prove-it deal. So I think that's a good move for the Sox to make. But, you, but, but, but Chris, your, your point is, is a completely – it's completely valid because he's vocal. And anyone who's vocal can be a detriment if that's not what your clubhouse – if that's not the vibe of your clubhouse. 
But, you know, with a guy like with Verdugo coming in and and maybe trying to get this 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 team to be more vivacious or whatever, uh, maybe he I, I think he's a good fit. But keep going. You you were on a point. I kind of interrupted you. There. I'm sorry. Keep going. No, you're good. So. Yeah. So I, could I see the Red Sox sign Marcus Stroman? I, I could see that. I, however, if you I just unless it's Bauer. I don't really see them venturing into free agency to fill the gaps for this rotation. And I look at kind of the way we talked a little bit earlier, but if you kind of look at the way they are right now on paper, you're going to get sale back, but you're probably not going to see him until mid year. So let's just, let's just say perfect world. Erod comes back after missing the whole season. I wonder what he's actually going to look like. You still get Evaldi, there's question marks there. I just, you know, I just wonder, are they willing to spend major free agent money on pitchers when they can go into the trade market? And he's kind of showing that if you look at the move that they just made to get Pavetta and to get Siebold, he went out and found younger, upside, talented pitchers. I kind of see Heimboom doing that more so than really going and kind of going all in with this free agent market. I think that if we're going to look at a free agent market, I think you can still look to get competitive, but you look towards the following free agent market when that is going to be a little more flush with talent than what you have right now. But if you're going to be, that's true. Be making trades. That means you've got to give up assets. So who do you give up in deals like that? Do you give up a, a Jay groom or somebody like that? Do you dip into the minor leagues where your talent is so thin to begin with? And well, give up some of these guys. I think it depends. Yeah, I think it depends, though. I think it depends on ultimately what you're looking to get back. You know, it's few and far between that teams are, are giving up that young, controllable, 24, 25, 26-year-old starter, you know, unless this guy was hurt or something along those lines. So, you know, I, I agree with that. But, I mean, look at what Garrett Cole brought back. That return is awfully light when you really, you know, look back on it. Sometimes you can buy low on a guy and trade big league arms that aren't necessarily big league talent or big uh, elite big league talent. So, I mean, I think that if they – personally, I think you attack the free agent market because I think it's it's ripe, it's ripe for what they want. But if they were to trade, I think, I think they do – I think the Sox system is a little bit better than they're given credit for, I guess is what my ultimate point is. Well, I think Bloom has built yeah, it up I, with some of the moves that he made, the Mookie trade and, and some of the other yeah. deals, um, Workman and um, Hembry. You know, he definitely built up the system. What was the other deal he made? Was it with Seattle, the two guys he picked up from Seattle? One of them is allegedly a five-tool player. I don't know why I'm thinking Seattle. Uh, San Diego? Mitch oh, Moreland. I'm yeah, sorry, Mitch San Diego, Moreland. yes. San Diego, yeah. um, you know, yeah. pick, picked up well, a couple though, of blue-chip guy... prospects there, so – they're starting to build he it got up again. Chavis 2.0, Potts, you know, he's doing it. And and, and I think if it, – it's all relative because, you know, a lot of the prospect, a lot of the farm systems that get analyzed by the media or the national baseball community, uh, they don't – they have their own way of grading it, right? They always look at the younger being better. But if the big league talent – if the big league roster has Pavetta, Hauk, Darwinson, you know, and then on the knocking on the front door is Cassis, um, Downs, Duran. And, you know, you have Chavis. You have well, 
Chavis stinks. You have uh, a Dahlbach. <laughs> if you have all those guys there, like I think that can, I think that means that the farm system's really good. And it's not going to get the hype from you know Baseball America and MLB Pipeline. But if those guys are all contributing to the big league level or contributing to a trade, like you know, like you said, Bill, on top of what what Hein Bloom has gotten in these couple of trades at the end of the year. I feel like the the farm system's not nearly as bad as they as it was depicted just a couple months ago. Well, that's why I'm saying I think that you know the moves that they could make is start to look at some of some of these guys that they acquired. They're all not going to make the major league roster. Some of these guys are going to be these pieces that they're going to that they're ultimately going to spin to get the players that they want. I I mean, I just free agency this season for me is more of a band-aid and yeah, it can get them right back in the mix of things. And I do think, I generally do think this team is going to put themselves in a position where they're going to be competitive because if you think about it, odds are there's going to be people that are going to be in the stands next season where let's just assume that we're going to start to be able to filter in fans into the, into the ballpark. You already touched upon a bill. Uh, viewership is down on Nesson. And I think that there's a handful of things that go into it besides the fact that this team is terrible. So having having that being said, they're going to want to start to put together a, a, a consistent product on this team because I don't think Boston can afford to go through your standard three- to five-year rebuilds because the market isn't going to tolerate that. So I look at, I look at right now the trade market – For example, like the Rockies, right? There's a handful of arms that I would look at. Kyle Freeland. I would look at um, uh, Jermon Marquez. I look at even Antonio Santazala. Like I look at some of those guys who are 25, 26 years old that Rockies have some older players. The the Sox can be a guy here or there. Young, controllable guys you can bring in here. Kind of feels like a high bloom type of move. Just based off what we've seen, I think that that's probably the route they're going to go. But then again, we're saying this, and they're going to do the complete and utter opposite of what we're saying. Well, I mean, Sam Kennedy came out and mentioned how um, he, you know, the Red Sox organization organization believes that fanfare and ticket sales, well, obviously ticket sales were obsolete this year, but, you know, TV viewership, that all hinges on competitiveness. And the Red Sox were just not competitive. I mean, they came out gangbusters in game one but they instantly fell flat on their face in game two. And it was pretty much just that the rest of the year. So I look at it. I look at it like this guys. So think about it, right? We just lived through and we're still living through the pandemic. And during the summer, the second that we had an opportunity where we could go out and try to do some things, even on a smaller scale, I think every one of us to an extent took advantage of that. So we've, we had people that were inside from March, April and May that were told, you can't go places. Stores were closed. Businesses weren't open. And then the opportunity presented itself. We had a, we had a relatively decent summer here in New England. People wanted to be outside. Last thing we wanted to do is go inside and watch a bad Red Sox team. So the Red Sox, you know what? They're getting a little bit of a mulligan here with this Corona piece because they're not going to be able to do and trot out the same team that they had last year or something to that extent if they're if, if they're going to want the interest of this market. I mean, this market is dominated by the Patriots. The Celtics just had, uh, you know, uh, and a, a great run that came to a, uh, you know, a halt at the hands of the Miami Heat. And 
you know, the Boston Bruins, you know, they went pretty deep in the playoffs too. Pressure's on the Red Sox and High and Bloom to, to build something for us to get excited about again. Yeah, because the Red Sox became the worst thing you can become in a, in a sports market, and that was irrelevant. They were irrelevant right. this year. Yeah, people didn't care one way or another about them. Especially with the Celtics having the deep playoff run and the Bruins, with that all going on at the same time. They didn't have the summer to themselves like they normally do. They did for about, what, two and weeks they may not have before the NBA and the NHL got going. No, right, those mm-hmm. sports are all going to be pushed back. I mean, you might still have the NFL playing by the time they go to spring training. You might have the Super Bowl I mean, going on, the get, way things are going there. Gary Bettman, at the beginning of this uh, NHL draft, said they're targeting a January 1 start. So that's going to take their season till what, at least June? You know, the NBA... until June before. I think... That, that's going to have to push them back into... August or September. Even more. Yeah. And I would, you know, you take a look at just the NBA. If I'm them, like, why go up against the, the NFL? Like, go up against Major League Baseball in the, in, in the summer. I, I feel like I feel like I watched more basketball this summer than I probably ever had during the winter when it was, just, when it was there. Just, you know, I think that a lot of these leagues are going to rethink a lot of how they did things from just – how social media was, how people were able to consume it. It, it. There was so many different avenues in which you could that you could that you could get your sports back. And I think that this this COVID piece kind of helped some of these leagues maybe to reevaluate and look at, hey, you know what? We can probably get out of our norm and do something different because once the money and the people can go, the NBA would dominate the summer. I don't think the NBA will ever shift back to. October to June as they have before. I don't think they can. I don't think they want to. I think I think they're gonna they're gonna be a, like Christmas to Labor Day or even Columbus Day from now on. And a and a Christmas tip off just makes so much sense in the world. Like yeah, everybody for the most part is off. No one's at work. Like that is just the perfect you know time to tip off. Yeah. You know for, for that like that's you know, that's perfect. That's basketball's bread that's and butter. Day. Christmas yeah. day is, is that's, that's their, their day. day. Yeah, you can watch basketball exactly. You can watch basketball from noon until you go to bed at midnight. All basketball, unless the NFL's playing. Unless it's a Sunday and the NFL's playing. Well, yes, yeah, so, so, everything takes backseat to to football. Let's be honest. And then if you think about it too, like the other, there's another piece of this whole puzzle too with with all of this is the gambling aspect of it. You know how you know. All I've seen in the last, really since sports started back up, DraftKings has pounded, pounded the marketing, you know, from TV to, you know, from just digital to our cell phones, whatever. Like, you get them, you have Barstool is going to have, you know, their sports book that just, that's within uh, Pennsylvania now. You have multiple other ways that people can get connected to sports. And where the money is at, you got to think that the leagues benefit also from that piece. And if if the money and the eyeballs and the attention is going to be better in different you know times of the year, they're going to just gravitate towards that. So for the Red Sox, the pressure is on them to get and start building this team back to get not us. We're going to be back. We're gonna we're gonna go back. We're gonna watch you know we're gonna watch the Sox. We may not go and jump to go to Fenway Park next season because I think the concern with how you know everything is in the world, but I'll go. I say that I I, I don't know yet. I, I would have went little... this year. I I got to be dead ass honest. I would have went this year. 
If they would have said that I had a whole row to myself, I would have went. I think that's different. I think if you know that those circumstances, obviously, I don't know if I'm ready to do that just yet. And I'm, and I'm not you know, your, your prototypical individual who is who's like, you know, super afraid. I just I really am cognizant and try to be aware of like others and things like that. Just I know my luck. You know, I had to I had the COVID test this year. You know what I mean? And with what I do and being around as many people. So luckily that was negative. Um, I probably last five so minutes sure at the ballpark because I go to the supermarket and I see somebody with their mask down on their chin and I get so aggravated I want to leave. So mm. you put me in a, in a setting like that, I probably would not last very long. Yeah, I wish I was that smart. I am dumb. I see the fans. Uh, I saw I saw the fans at the Kansas City Patriots game last night and I was very jealous. I'm itching to go back to sports. I know oh, I'm no, so stupid, like, but I, I'm so I I, so I have a question about that, about it. the fans in Kansas City. Were the Royals letting people in, too? No, baseball has been a uh, 100% across the board, no fans. So they're not even going to let them in for the bubble now, for the playoffs? They are for the bubble. I believe they are for the bubble. Are, in, yeah. in Texas or uh, California? Capacity. I think, I, I'm pretty sure Cal- Texas uh, is Texas. doing it. Because you know Texas which Texas is doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You could, you could buy tickets to the World Series right now. The the, the CSs, to. I think it's the CSs and uh, the World Series. They'll have fans in the bubble. So maybe Bill, you should plug the SeatGeek uh, when we get to the end yeah. of this. If you if you live in Tejas <laughs> and you're a Miami Marlins fan, <laughs> you know. Speaking of the Marlins, I, I wanted to mention them. Right now. I think they. I mean. You saw what they did when they got devastated by COVID and what they lose, like a week and a half of their schedule. Same thing with the Cardinals. Yeah. You know, and they and they just pieced it all together and came out of nowhere. Talk about teams that were able to overcome adversity. And then you had a guy like J.D. Martinez oh, yeah. complaining because he didn't have his video. The Marlins made Right, but I think both of those sta- I think both of those statements can be like you could be okay with both of those statements. Like those guys were a bunch of I mean, for the Marlins in particular, they're pretty much a group of 4A players banding together to try to win a 60-game sprint. Uh, you know, it's a little different for the Cardinals. They got their veterans. But, I, I mean, I think, like I said earlier, J, what J.D. said was factually correct. Now, do I want to back him? No, because it's very diva-esque. But you can't – like, it is – it was adversity on all on all accounts. Maybe I'm being a little bit too much of a homer. And now that the words have crept out of my mouth, I think I want to do the Homer the Homer Simpson meme and go back into the bush. <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to revisit JD, but what you mentioned the Marlins and I and I've been thinking that, you know, about I mean, the run that they made with with a team of nobodies really. Uh, yeah, I mean like what JD, the, the remarks from JJ Martinez were, you know, they weren't ideal because there are what eight teams still playing. So you have full rosters of players getting able to get the job done. Uh, but I, you know, like I said, Homer Simpson back into the bush. So now that we've uh, started talking about the playoffs, why don't we touch on those just a little bit? I want to, I want to get your guys thoughts on uh, the playoffs, how they've been so far. I, I got to say, I never liked the one game play in, but I did like the two out of three series. And I hope that, for the, for the first round yeah. for the wild cards. And I hope that's something that baseball sticks with too, along with the universal DH, if they're going to take anything out of this season. I completely agree. I think the baseball playoffs so far have been a slam dunk. 
It's been fun. It's been edgy, you know, edgy type of type of drama with certain certain uh, games. You're seeing star players do star player things. I, I've loved the playoffs, and the Red Sox aren't even playing, and I still love the playoffs. I think you need to this format that they started this year, like you said, Bill, that needs to be the gold standard going forward, as well as the D- universal DH. The, uh, Man, I mean, I ha- I got to be honest, I haven't noticed this much buzz around the sport of baseball in a long time. I would make one change to it, though. Right now, you've got uh, division opponents playing each other in the divisional series. You remember back when there was only one wild card? If if a team in your yep, division, that would never happen. you they couldn't, couldn't play, play each, each other, other in that division series. I, I would go back to that because these guys Bring play, that back, especially yeah. this year, they played each other 10 times out of 60 games. Time to play somebody else. Now. Right. And in, in the American League, I mean, you've got wait, that matchup no, so in both have, leagues. Literally, every yeah, every single matchup is a right. divisional matchup. You're right. And all it takes is a quick switch. Just boop, Rays play the A's, Astros play the Yankees, Dodgers play the Braves, Marlins play the Padres. It's an easy switch. I completely agree with you. You got to save those matchups for the CS, no doubt. I mean, today, just the Marlins and Braves game alone, you know, there was some theatrics, you know, with Acuna hit and just like an absolute missile into the oh, upper deck. How cool is that? You know what? I am sick of people not thinking baseball is cool. They're just not looking at the right places. Baseball is incredibly cool if you watch the right players. What Acuna did today, that was super cool. Hitting a 450-foot bomb the opposite way. Throwing the bat away like it was a toothpick, man, that was cool. And then the Marlins starting pitcher, you know, basically saying that if Acuna wants to fight, he'd throw down. Like that's that's playoff that awesome. baseball, right? Miss it. That was old school. Miss it. Exactly. That was fantastic. Like, like watching Great point. today on Fox, like watching today on Fox, and like the Fox like bumper music to come back to like the game just brought me back to like the early 2000s when the Red Sox were in the playoffs and we were consistently seeing that like I the juices got going and then I remembered I was watching the Marlins and the Braves but it was a great game though it was great and you know what I didn't think I would like but now having seen it I I I think I really like it neutral ballparks yeah if you're playing in front of no fans what difference does it make where you're playing really Right, but even in front of fans, like just pack them in, just pack baseball fans in. I, I know it's t- it might be tough, and I, you know, I can obviously imagine owners are not going to want to give up home stands in the playoffs. But watching the Braves and the Marlins in Houston was just like I didn't think I'd like it, but when I'm watching, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. I you don't usually see Okuna going opposite way in Houston. That's interesting. And, and and prior to the playoffs, obviously, like I'm a little bit more traditional in that. Like I want the home teams to have their home ball, their home ballparks. But now watching a neutral site, I I'm kind of digging it. I don't think that's something you can do once like, you get fans in the stands. So it's not like the Super Bowl where fans can travel for just one game. You know, you're not going to get fans traveling no, for true. seven that's potential true. games. You know, to to what? Who knows? Maybe that's that's a whole week. You put it in a place like near Disney World or something like that. Maybe it would work. At least, at least once in a while. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, the, the, there are men who get paid a lot more money than I'm getting paid to just throw this out there for free. Uh, so maybe, maybe pay me. 
But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. Like seeing Stanton hit that grand slam last night in San Diego. Like it just, I don't know. It just, it felt kind of cool. That it was like a complete different ballpark. Like it wasn't what I was expecting to see when you watch the highlight. I don't know. I liked it. That's what 2020 has brought us. Things we never thought we would see. Uh, that is, that is for sure. So do you have any predictions for the playoffs? Well, I would love to see the Yankees get bounced. Um, merely because I just want to keep retweeting that um, anti-Yankee uh, Twitter handle that counts down the days since the Yankees <laughs> last won a play, uh, World Series game. So, like, I really want to see that happen. Um, but, you know, I think the Rays would be exciting. I think the A's would be exciting. Wouldn't mind maybe just seeing the A's finally win <laughs> win in the postseason because they seem like they're a team that kind of always comes out of nowhere, has really solid squads, but can never – kind of piecework it together. Um, I think it's I think it's the Dodgers. I mean, I'd be shocked if the Dodgers don't go to the World Series. Um, I just I, I don't have the energy for a Yankees Dodgers World Series. I would I would be completely disinterested. Well, that's what in baseball that. is drooling Merely over. That's finished. what the networks are drooling over. Yeah, yeah. I completely. That's what I think. I think baseball the ba- the MLB executives are going to get exactly what they wanted. And then when you really break it down, Padres Dodgers. In this matchup is great. You're probably gonna get Dodgers Braves again. Two historic franchises going against each other in NLCS is gonna be great fanfare. You're gonna get the Astros, Yankees, Cheaters, Redemption, that story in the ALCS, and then I think you're gonna see Yankees Dodgers in the the World Series. And as a Red Sox fan, I hate everything I just said, but. If I was Rob Manfred, I am salivating over that prospect, over the prospect of that being the case, because I I think that's where it's heading, and I think that is going to create insane amount of views in terms of baseball popularity, because you're just talking about fantastic storylines. I think the Astros are on a mission to try to shut everybody up about the cheater thing, they and are. I think that Manfred's probably shaking in his boots, thinking that you know they're going to probably at least be in the league championship series if not the World Series. Oh, yeah. They're, they're probably going to beat the A. If I had to guess, they'll probably beat the A's. I don't think A's. they have the pitching to uh, go but, any deeper than that, especially since they lost Verlander. And we're, ex- we're playing agree. every day now. There's no off days. But I think it, I think an Astros-Yankees and a ALCS is almost a win-win because either you put the Yankees and you get that redemption story. We beat the Cheaters. You know, we rectified that loss a couple years ago. Now we're in the World Series. Or you get the Astros on a mission, the, 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 basically the Patriots of, of, of baseball showing that their talent is what won it, not cheating, going back into the World Series. And if they play the Dodgers, oh, my God, a Dodgers-Astros World Series would be an incredible rematch. And, you know, I think right now Rob Manfred is – he's loving what's happening. He's loving that – you know, I mean, if you get a Rays-Tampa World Series, Ooh. I mean – is there not a more MLS championship type vibe than that? Yeah, that is that is not so what Fox wants, that's he, for sure. That's not what Fox wants. That's not what that's not what the big wigs want. And as of, you know, one game into the DS series is series is Sirai? How do you Sirai? Is it cacti? I want to say Siri, my phone will start Siri? talking. <laughs> <laughs> my iPad was so yelling at me too. But no, Alexa? I think as of as of right now, I mean whew. As a Red Sox fan, I'm not happy, but if I was Rob Manfred, I'd be very happy with the teams uh, still alive. In I'd the like playoffs. to see San Diego make a run at it. They're they're a fun team, and Tatis is so much fun to watch. Fun. 
it's Machado, like I, I again, as a Sox fan, I hate saying it, but he's been super fun to watch. You know, and it, I also like te- I like watching teams be rewarded for getting after it. And you know, AJ Preller and company, they got after. It. They went and got Clevenger. They went and got Moreland. They went and got Nola. They went out there to try to win now. And I think when teams are rewarded when they do that, it's great for everybody. Yeah, definitely going to be some fun to watch. So, uh, guys, any closing thoughts before we wrap this all up? Uh, who knows when we're going to get together again? May not be until uh, till the owners' meeting or, or sometime uh, in late October. So, any any final thoughts you want to get off your chest on the 2020 season? Yeah, I just want to say to all the Boston fans that are going to inevitably be disappointed that they did not get a top two pick, let me reassure you now: there are more than just two elite prospects in this draft yes jack Leiter and kumar rocker are insanely touted prospects with incredible potential and honestly i would love if either one of them slipped so i'm not sitting here saying that you shouldn't want them as a Sox fan but i want you to know that there are other options that if there is a season in terms of high school and college that you will be extremely excited for the the, the possibilities at that fourth overall pick. There's a, a right-hander from LSU that throws in the high 90s. He is a stud. He could absolutely be there for him in the fourth the fourth overall pick. There's another kid from Florida, an outfielder, Fabian, who is being touted as, you know, I know this is not going to translate well, but if you can remember when Ben Attendee came out as highly regarded as a hitter as him, He's coming out, and there's a high school shortstop that's being considered as a potential A-Rod-type talent. So don't be super negative about losing the top two picks. There will be a superb elite prospect for them to draft at four. And I, like I said earlier in the show, winning will give the ownership and the uh, executives uh, motivation and momentum to get after and attack the offseason because what we want as Sox Nation is to get a good draft pick, which I think they will be able to do at four overall, especially considering what they did last year's draft. That kid York already has come up and has hit major league pitching at 18 years old. You know, granted it's Red Sox pitching, so it is what it is, but still. And J- Blaze Jordan, I love the fact that they. One at the end, be excited about the fourth overall pick and be excited about this Red Sox team going into 2021. Bringing the positivity. Way to go, Matt. We're bringing the positivity, baby. I don't even know if I can follow that up. Um, I, I have to tell you, though, like I am incredibly excited because the hot stove is my favorite time of the year. It's like Christmas. You know, you get the rumors you get that anticipation, the intrigue of for who potentially could be either on the Sox or just this out-of-the-blue move that a, that a team ends up making. So I'm really, really excited for that. I'm ready to really turn the page on 2020 and it just in general. But um, I'm ready to turn the page in 2020, at least with this Red Sox team. You know, let's figure out who's going to be the Red Sox manager, pump out some stuff on that, and uh, just get ready for, you know, our uh, – our hot stove podcast. So we, you know, I'm sure that we'll, we'll do, um, you know, as we talk about the Red Sox in the off season, because I, you know, even though we talked about, what we talked about, I think it's going to be fun and exciting. And I think that we're going to have a lot to talk about 
with the moves that Bloom will make. It is going to be an interesting offseason, that is for sure. All right, guys, I, I guess I that got. just about does it for uh, this latest uh, episode. So uh, let me just uh, do my normal uh, pumping of, uh, of our brand here. Uh, check out all our articles on www.bostonsportssyndicate.com. Uh, Matt, you've got a new series that uh, you've started up for uh, fantasy football. You want to pump that a little bit? Sure. Uh, you know, I've had this idea in my head for a couple of years now, and I've finally decided to, you know, put pen to paper. Like, I love doing the fan- – I love Shark Take, you know, and I love fantasy football. So I've kind of merged the two worlds, and uh, every week I'm going to do a little fantasy Shark Take, which is basically – me trying to convince myself of uh, three or four or five different scenarios. And uh, I'll also put in type of confidence. It's just a different way. Uh, it's it's not exactly a start or sit column uh, for fantasy football, but it's, you know, along those lines, a little bit more fun, a little bit more, uh, you know, imagination to put into it. So fantasy shark take, uh, as long as ABC doesn't come DNC me, that'll be the article uh, every week. All right, cool. So check that out again, www.bostonsportssyndicate.com. Check us, check us out on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Boston Sports Syn. Uh, that's S-Y-N. Check us out on Facebook at Boston Sports Syndicate. Uh, and in addition to the Red Sox podcast to be named later Twitter, we've recently added uh, Twitter, ha- Twitter accounts for all our other podcasts, the Above the Parquet podcast, the Fire the Muskets podcast, and the Bleed Black and Gold podcast. So check that out at, at Above the Parquet, at Fire the Muskets, at Bleed Black and Gold. Nice and simple. And also, when you check out our website, please check out our merchandise. Buy merch. We've got some uh, new uh, Pinktober merchandise that uh, uh, you might want to check out. Uh, so, again, Matt, Chris, fun as always. We didn't go off the rails as much on this one as we have in the past. We're a little rusty. We're going to have to get back into shape. But, guys, thank you for joining me. Uh, Thank you all for listening. And wear your mask. Over your nose, please. Later. Peace. Boston Sports Syndicate. Music for the Boston Sports Syndicate provided by IMCDM and Jay Kelly.